ever pull out pictures and look at pictures of yourself from some stage of life and you ask the question, oh my gosh, what was I thinking? Have you ever had that moment where you went through a phase, you went through a look, maybe it was bangs, maybe it was high-waisted something or another, maybe it was a, a, it was a kind of thing that you were into, but you look back now and thank God that he pre-wired us for the ability to change, right? Maybe um, you look back and you go, I'm not sure what I was going through, but I'm so glad that I've come out of it right? I mean, it would be really funny to go back through some of our teenage years pictures or the 20-something years uh, or even the baby pictures when you can start dressing yourself and you still get the mom shrugging their shoulders. She dressed herself today. And that's okay, right? Because we grow up and we grow into a new and a next look. And my point is this, is that we, I believe, are pre-wired for this idea of change. Thank the Lord change on some significant level. Most of the change that we deal with is external change, but I want to talk tonight about change that happens on the inside out, because um, I think part of our spiritual fundamental question that we wrestle with, that we confront, is can a person really change? from the inside out, in a transformational sense. I'm not talking about bad habits. I'm not talking about bad behavior. I'm simply talking about what comes from within on a heart level, the things that moves us, the things that kind of desire, the motivations, the attitudes that are intrinsic in our own hearts. I think that's one of the things we wrestle with. And for many, I'm I'm afraid that the dominant theme of life ends up being despair. Because what we're confronted with is this this sense, this reality that feels like, well, I guess this is just the way it's supposed to be. Or we're confronted with this idea like, does it ever get better? Or is this all there is in this life? And so we just go through chapters, seasons, phases of immediate and self-gratification or trying to find the next pleasurable thing because if this is all there is, well, then I've got to live life to its fullest based on my seeking of some kind of pleasure. And I would like to say that change on an internal transformational heart level is is entirely possible. Now, we started a series a few weeks ago uh, called The Movement is On, and it's the idea that salvation in Christ is something that's supposed to be organic and dynamic and unfolding and growing. And most of the time, I think we have this salvation experience where it feels sort of like an event. It feels like I made a decision. And what I would like to suggest is it's a both and. There needs to be a sort of I do moment where we enter into a formal relationship where we pledge our allegiance and walk in relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. But what I would like to sort of whet your appetite for is the idea that true salvation is unfolding. And a a key step about in anyone's salvation is this idea of baptism. Now, when I talk about baptism, it's very easy to think somehow about arrival. Yes, I've checked that spiritual box, either when I was an infant or when I was a youth or, or, or later in my life, I got dumped. And I would say, awesome. That's great. But I don't believe that baptism was supposed to only be an event. It was supposed to be something that sort of whets our appetite, encourages us 
to continually and regularly immerse ourselves in the life of Christ. As we walk through life in its highs and its lows, in its struggles and its joys, that we find this continual identification with the life of Christ. And now we start to have a picture of what maturity looks like, or better yet, a growing awareness of the presence of God. So I want to talk about baptism, and I want to read about Jesus' baptism, and I want to talk about it because I think there's more than you might realize there. And so when I talk about baptism, it's part of the salvation experience, but it's learning to identify with Jesus' daily life. So we do, at one point, get dunked and we make a public declaration of an inward commitment. I think that's super important for every believer to consider. But we also have this language that we use when talking about growing and talking about initiation. Language like baptism by fire. Have you ever had a baptized by fire kind of experience? Because what it usually means is you had an on-the-job training experience. You had a job that you felt like you weren't necessarily qualified for or educated enough for, but you were forced to learn it, and oftentimes it felt like you were learning it in a hurry, right? And I would like to say that I think baptism in the Lord Jesus Christ is the exact same way. It's more than an event, but it's something that's unfolding and growing. And so I want to talk to two audiences tonight. I want to encourage you, if you've never been baptized, or if maybe even you were baptized as an infant, that you might make this decision, like Jesus makes at 30 years old, to consider this public declaration of an inward commitment. But if you've been dunked and had a wet experience in some pool or tub, I would like to suggest to you this idea where we get to continually and always immerse ourselves in our daily life with Christ. Now, in Mark chapter 1, 9 through 13, is Jesus' baptism. And what I want to suggest to you out of this verse, when Jesus was getting baptized, it would have created significant surprise to the Jewish people who thought they had a good idea about what baptism was all about anyway. In fact, there was going to be some challenge involved, not just surprise, And there was also going to be something mildly offensive. And that's what we want to look at. So in Jesus' baptism, what we really have here is a parallel story. And if you understand the layers involved in Jesus' baptism with another narrative, all of a sudden, I think this passage makes a whole lot more sense. Now, let me read for you Jesus' baptism, and then we'll talk about the parallel story. Uh, And it says this, verse 9. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan River. As Jesus was coming out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven says, you are my son in whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. At once, the spirit sent out sent him out into the desert, and he was in the desert for 40 days being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals, and the angels attended to him. Okay, most people are familiar with that account, but most people don't marry it to a parallel story, and if you were a Jew 
who had been raised with the Torah, the first five books, if you understood the, the, the Genesis, Leviticus, Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, if you would understand that, you would have seen something else unfolding. You wouldn't have just seen some supernatural dove coming down and this voice coming down with this Morgan Freeman shouting down. It would have been nothing like that. The, the, the lights on your spiritual dashboard would have been going on because what you would have probably started to marry this to was the creation account of what God did at the very beginning. And so that's what's worth pointing out is that most of us see something like, oh yeah, well, I can see where like the dove represents the Holy Spirit and God's approval and his blessing, but a Jew who was kind of rooted in the scriptures and understood the creation story would have seen this kind of parallel story popping out all over the place. Um, and so Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, help marry this. Now watch this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, the sea that is, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Now, again, if you're taking notes, let's just talk about some of the things that were present. You know, water is such a significant thing. Historically, water represented the mysterious. In fact, it almost represented spiritual darkness. So, um, I mean, if, if you go into ancient lore, you understand that nothing good came from the sea. That's why we we're all kind of land creatures. Until we developed the kind of navigation and sailing capabilities, the sea was something that just darkness came out of. And, and in this ancient text, what we're seeing is kind of the same thing. So God creates and using this water that represents death and chaos, Jesus descends into the water to, to kind of speak to the chaos of our life. And today, what he's still trying to do is reorder the chaos of our relationships, the chaos of, of our insecurities, the chaos of our abuse and, and sort of our past regrets, the chaos of our finances. There is something that Christ wants to do as we immerse ourselves in the life of Christ. And so when Jesus has this experience over the water, he, God is then and now and in the middle trying to form order out of chaos. And so uh, when we see that the second thing is the spirit. Now at creation it says that the spirit hovered over the waters. And here the spirit descends on Jesus within the form of a dove. The third thing that we see is God's approval. Now if I was to read you the whole creation account, what do you get? You get God did this and it was good. God created land from sea and he created differentiated between light and darkness and it was good and then birds and animals and it was good and then creation he said it was very good in terms of the humanity and here we get the same divine approval or what i like to refer to as this divine affirmation so before jesus sets out to do anything miraculous or or, or extraordinary at the beginning before he builds any resume to make himself more lovable to god the voice calls out and says this is my child whom I love, and with you I am well pleased. So we get God's approval in saying it was good, it was good, it was good, it's very good when it came to humanity. And at Jesus' outset of Jesus' public ministry, we see the same sort of divine approval or affirmation, which is what you and I begin with at ground zero in Christ. Interesting. Two more things that we see coming up is a new creation. 
So God took something that was formless and created order out of it. And out of this void, God made a new world that never existed before. And then here in this Jesus baptism moment, as Jesus came out of the water, what he was doing is, and I'll talk about this in a minute, he was ushering in a new world order, a new humanity. See, we can be a new creature in Christ Jesus in this new creation. We can be a new way to be human in this new humanity. There is an invitation to live in such a transformed way when we immerse ourselves with a life in Christ. When we identify with Christ, we now have a new identity. Does that make sense? And then, isn't it interesting, lastly, I just want to draw attention to it, temptation. After this creation account, what happens? They get all mixed up with fruit, and they go and eat from this forbidden tree, and, and, and all of a sudden, we are introduced to the human condition that you and I know is normal, shame, fear, and regret. And they hid themselves, and they clothed themselves, and all of a sudden, we have this blame game of, of accusation and deceit. And isn't it interesting that when Jesus comes out, he goes immediately into the desert to be tempted by Satan for 40 days. And all I would say about that is simply this. Whenever you make a decision, not a New Year's resolution, but a choice to want to walk in obedience, to want to walk in faith and faithfulness, when you choose righteousness over evil, I would say that that will always be a threat to the kingdom of evil, the kingdom of darkness, and stuff happens. We're going to be tempted to lose our cool. We're going to be tempted to lose some kind of faith, that we're going to be tempted to lose some kind of confidence. And what I'm suggesting to you is temptation will always be present when we make strides to walk in the light. It was true at the creation story. It was true at Jesus' story. And it's true in each of our stories. But that's not the end of the story. So as they gathered around this, the Jordan River, those watching this baptism um, must have been overwhelmed, I believe, by the picture that God was creating out of this one event. Now, by mirroring the creation account during Jesus' baptism, God reveals... Jesus is calling. This is my son, the Messiah, the new deliverer, the one that will set you free. And part of that calling then is he invites us to be a new creation or a new creature in God's new creation. So as we align our lives with God, we become part of God's restoration of all things. Because ever since Genesis 3, when sin entered the human equation, God has been eternally trying to repair and restore a broken humanity. Because what you and I know as normal, shame, fear, regret, whatever, is never the world that God actually intended. And so now as we align our lives, identify with Christ, we become part of working out that restoration. And baptism is not just an event. It becomes something that we live into. To use Mission Hill's language, it becomes a practice, a spiritual practice. So baptism, I would say, is a chance to begin again. But it's also a practice of immersing our lives in the life of Christ. 
Now, here's where it starts to get a little sticky. Because the point of John's baptism is that everyone comes to God on the same terms. And you and I would say, well, no, duh. That's kind of like, there's this even, no, but hear this. These are people that always have fancied God as their God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's kind of ours, and you've got yours. And what John is saying through Jesus' baptism is, no, 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 no. At the foot of the cross, there's an even playing field. We all need to come to God on the same terms. And the problem is, is that the idea of being ceremonial, ceremonially clean was something that was already being practiced. So if you were a woman and you had a monthly hemorrhaging, you knew that before you could re-enter a social circle, you had to go and be ceremonially bathed and clean before you were allowed to be not unclean and be repopulate um, society. If you had a sickness, if you had a disease, there was this idea that you needed to go get dunked again before you connect. So these Jews thought of themselves as, we got baptism down. We understand what it means to be pure and right in the sight of God. And he's going, no, 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 no. There's more to it than that. Uh, And so to tell Jewish people that they had to be baptized and repent the same way that non-Jews did would have been offensive because it challenged their very notion of salvation. I think that's really significant for us. See, most Jews believed that if I was born of good stock, if I was born of the right family, if I never renounced my faith or the faith of my parents, if I kind of believed in the law and the prophets, then I was saved. It's sort of like if I was born into this Christian culture, that makes me a Christian. And John's baptism says, no, it's not that way. And so what Jesus is saying is that we all stand very evenly before our creator. And it's not enough for us to go, well, man, I'm way better than I used to be. Or at least I'm better than that guy. I'm not as bad as them. That's not a good enough response to experience the kind of internal transformational work that comes when we immerse our lives and identify with Christ as our Lord and Savior. And so let me just ask you a couple of questions. So what if baptism for us was more than an event, more than a sort of spiritual box that you check, but a sacred next step? I want you to consider that. Especially consider that if you've taken the scenic route through college or if you maybe were sprinkled as a child and someone else made that decision for you. Again, knowing Christ requires us to make a sort of a public declaration of an inward commitment or an inward belief. I think that is significant, as significant as me not choosing to cohabitate with my wife, but actually saying, I do, and having a ceremony around that. But the second question is, is what if baptism was to teach us a practice on how we regularly and continually learn to identify with the life of Christ? Oh, so baptism is a way to live. As I baptize myself, as I immerse myself in God's word, as I give myself to immersing him in his presence, even when I'm not at church, when I immerse myself into some kind of communication and prayer, 
when I immerse myself into Christian fellowship and be in community? Yes, there is a way to immerse ourselves in Christ. And sometimes that means immersing ourselves and where it feels darkest or crossing social divides or being with those people in order that we might meet needs because at the end of the day, their needs are simply different than my needs, but we're all needy and we all come to God on the same terms. So baptism invites us wherever we are, really just beginning, skeptical, novice, to seasoned believer. I've done this all my life, but Wherever we are, it invites us to be immersed in God's love and forgiveness. And we never stop needing that daily and often. And so what we have here is maybe we don't need to get wet again, but we, as we learn to identify with Christ, we learn to find freedom when we come clean. When we're able to name our sin, what we're able to name our insecurity, name our brokenness, name our resentment. This is the freedom that Christ came for, and he came to set us free. And through baptism, what God does is he seals our identity when we identify with him. And it's a way for us to renew and begin again. So I want to pray with you. I'm just going to invite you to just bow your heads, close your eyes, and just consider the words that you hear. We're going to have a time to go into communion in in just a minute, and Damaris is going to come up and lead us through a a kind of liturgy. But I just want you to consider this. In June, we're going to have a family baptism event. Maybe you just want to start thinking about that now, praying about it now, talking about it now. But if you've been baptized, how are you immersing your life in Christ? In other words, how are you allowing Christ to somehow shape and form your heart? Because that's, that's a muscle that needs exercising. That's, that's something that needs some conditioning. It doesn't happen automatically. Faith doesn't grow without exercise. And if you've already chosen, or if you haven't chosen to be baptized, and you see yourself as a Christian, my question is simply, well, what's your hesitation? What would keep you from making that sacred step and beginning the practice of being immersed in the presence of God? I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to our hearts, that you take captive every errant thought, that when we have a hunger for more of you, when we have a longing for more of you, that we would not find peace until we find more of you, that we would find a growing awareness of your presence guiding, leading, guarding, directing our lives as we become children of the light. I pray that you would reorder the broken and um, chaotic places of our lives. I pray that you would shine your light into the darkness. I pray that we could be made new, knowing that we begin as someone whom you find favor in and are loved. We embrace this new identity as, as being your child and this divine affirmation. Pray that you would prepare our hearts for this communion table. We, we thank you that we can come to you in another sacred step and walk in intimacy with you. 
pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.